You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Dissensions. This is that spirit that involves itself in church splits. Factions. It is divisive. And then there's heresies. We know what that is. False teaching, contrary to sound doctrine. Then there's envy. Now, what is the difference between envy and jealousy? Jealousy desires what somebody else has. Envy simply wishes they would lose it. That's the difference. That is the difference. It's safe to say that we've all felt jealous at one time or another. No matter how many things we have, there's always grass that looks greener on the other side. Today, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that if you want to be forever transformed and leave your toxicity behind, you need to put your faith in Jesus. If you want to be satisfied in who you are and what you possess, make big changes today by the power of God's perfect grace and be the person that you've always known you wanted to be. Well. Let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, as he continues his message, The Flesh and the Spirit. The first sin in the list is adultery. We know what adultery is. It's sex between a married person and someone to whom they aren't married. That's simple. We know that, right? Next comes fornication. Now, the Greek word used for fornication is pornea, from which we get the English word, guess what? Pornography, pornea, fornication. Greek word pornea. Now, here's what the Bible teaches. The only legitimate sexual activity identified in Scripture is that between a husband and wife. Scripture teaches. Go into any, gosh, you can go all the way down to elementary school now where they're teaching children to have sex. You think I'm kidding? Do you know that a preschool was shut down in California a couple of weeks ago? because five and six-year-olds were having sex? Do you know that? Absolutely true. Where'd they get that? It is a culture that is spiraling by the hour into the abyss. You know why? Because we've thrown the Word of God out. And when you throw the Word of God out, you open a very, very dark and dangerous door. So let's look at this now. Is God a killjoy? Is God does not want people to have fun? Does God, I mean, is he just kind of a party pooper? Does he not understand us that we can't help it? No. Do you know that when the sexual revolution began in the 1960s, there were two STDs? I think they were syphilis and gonorrhea. There were two. You know that now there are 36 goodies that you will encounter that are out there lurking, waiting for those who don't obey the scriptures and say, well, you know what? You only live once. I'm going to go live the way my flesh wants me to. And they don't yield to the promptings of the spirit as children of God. Now, God never commands something, but what is for our protection. I promise you, He doesn't. So God says legitimate sexual activities between a husband and wife. So the word pornea is is not just for male-female sex before marriage, but pornea is used for general, all-encompassing 
sexual activity outside of God's will, and it includes sex between unmarried people, homosexuality, bestiality, incest, and so on. Pornea is the all-encompassing word used for sexual sin. So catch this now. God says, give your body to me. He says in 1 Corinthians, he says, glorify God in your body because you were bought with a price. You are, you are owned by Christ. So listen, if, if, if all that you've got is, well, I just need to say no, you don't have enough understanding. You need to understand the way God looks at it. God looks at it like this. I own you. You are my precious possession. And so I want you to exercise self-control when it comes to sexual sin. Now, is he out there with furrowed brow and steam coming out of his ears and just can't wait for somebody to go off into sexual sin so he can throw some disease on him? No. The disease is always the result of breaking natural law. It's, it's breaking barrier. Like, boy, am I going in here. But there's nothing natural about homosexuality. Now, am I a bigot for saying that? No. I'm not a bigot for saying that. Am I a hater for saying that? No. Let me ask you a question. If you smoked and I come up to you and said, you know, I love you. And, and can I just please encourage you to quit smoking? Am I a hater? Am I a nicophobe? because I say, don't smoke? Does that make me a nicophobe? I have a dread fear of nicotine? No. How have we been so brainwashed that we can't simply communicate that we think something is wrong without being labeled a hater or a bigot? If I love you, I, I will talk to you about that smoking habit. Say, please stop, stop, I'll pay you to stop. I'll buy you a nick of gum or whatever the stuff is that you chew. I'll get you the patch. And the only reason I'm talking to you that way is because I love you. I don't want to see you get lung cancer and die. And yet, you can talk to somebody about a sexually destructive lifestyle, and you're a bigot, and you're a hater. I reject that. I reject that whole politically correct notion. That is not true. If I don't love you, I will say nothing while you self-destruct. So God says, your body is mine. Glorify me in your body. Now, the next word is uncleanness. Now, this time the word used is akatharsia. We get cathartic from that, which means impurity. Now, look at akatharsia. You see that word? See the A in front of it? Do you, do you see the A in front of it? In front of akatharsia? All right. In front of katharsia, an A is always put to, to make something a negative in the Greek language. So cathartic means to purify. So if it's acathartic, it means impure, to make you impure. So when he says uncleanness, it, is, it means impurity. It suggests those things that make a person unfit to approach God. Those things that stain, taint, or defile a person. It points to a general state of mental impurity. Now Paul addresses this very thing in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. 
Listen what he says. Quote, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile. He names two things, our body and our spirit. Let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Now notice two things can be defiled. Your body by giving it over to sexual impurity or whatever, and your spirit. Watch this. Have you ever read something and when you put it down, you felt dirty? You ever watched something and when you turned it off, you felt dirty? Okay. <clears throat> We're going to get there tonight. Have you, have you ever said something and after you said it, you felt dirty? Okay. You know what happened? Your spirit was defiled. Pornography will defile your spirit. A, a nasty comedy on ABC, CBS, NBC can defile the spirit of the child of God. A lost person can watch that stuff and, oh, isn't that funny? But the child of God says, you know, that bothered me. Something about that just made me feel wrong. You know what that is? That's the spirit of God inside of you. You know, these women, they go grab Cosmo off the shelf. Boy, you talk about a, I'm sorry, I'm on the radio here. You talk about a pipeline to worldly godlessness. Not that I read Cosmo all the time. I just, I've read about it. I know what's in it. But these women, Christian women will go get a Cosmo and go read it and then wonder, why do I not feel right? Because the spirit of God inside of you says, I need the word. I need righteous input. I need your eye gate and your ear gate and your mouth gate to be dealing with righteous material. It's quiet in here tonight. We're dealing with the flesh. <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, if it makes you feel dirty, something in it was defiling. And so we need to pray that God will forgive us and cleanse us of all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. Now, finally, there's lasciviousness. What a word. You say that with me? Lasciviousness. Now, that also stems from the word akatharsia, same verb family. Lasciviousness. It means wantonness or licentiousness. There's another great big King James version word. But watch this. Here's what it means. It describes the person who is so abandoned to lust that he simply does not care what people think or say anymore. All restraint is cast aside. There's no more shame, no more fear, no more embarrassment. The way Jeremiah the prophet puts it about Israel that he was pronouncing judgment over, they have forgotten how to blush. There's no more ability to blush. I don't have anything to blush about. I'll do whatever I want. What I'm doing is fine. Somebody blind says that. So, so when you talk about lasciviousness, what Paul is listing here is something that, that uh, where you just say, I don't care anymore. I don't care what people think. I'm going to live the way I want. I have no shame about it. I don't care. You have to think there of those that march in gay parades who openly flaunt their perversion in front of children, television cameras, you name it. They don't care anymore. They're not the only ones, but... It's such an out there example that I, I had to think of it. They don't care anymore. There's no shame, no embarrassment, no blushing at all. 
Interestingly, in the Greek New Testament, this word is used to describe unclean demon spirits. There is little doubt that the works of the flesh that exhibit such behavior have behind them evil spirits. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, rulers of the darkness of this world. It is from evil spirit influences. And when it comes to lasciviousness, there, there, is, there is a presence behind it. So notice there's a progression here. First, there is sexual sin, then a general state of mental impurity, and finally, it leads down to a scornful disregard of all things decent and all things wholesome. Sin always progresses downward. And I've got a question for you tonight. Where is America here? We in trouble, folks, without a move of God. We're in trouble. Because America can't blush anymore. America doesn't think that wrong is wrong anymore. Matter of fact, America says that wrong is right. And that right is actually wrong. Woe, said Isaiah, to those people. Now, after these first four sexual sins, we come to spiritual sins, sins of a more religious nature. Do you know the flesh is incurably religious? Paul mentions, mentions first idolatry, and then he mentions witchcraft in chapter 5, verse 20. Idolatry and witchcraft. Now, we may not think of idolatry as one of the works of the flesh, but it is. It represents religious flesh at its worst. Look at this. Imagine this. The unregenerate man makes an idol out of wood or stone or steel or whatever, and then he falls down in front of something he made and worships it. <laughs> he worships what he just made. Hey, dude, that's not God. You made it. You want to worship somebody who made you. Now, <laughs> watch this. Taking it a step further to make it relevant to our day, look at a throng of thousands, how they celebrate, exalt, and literally worship a rock star or a politician. It's scary to watch. I mean, you've been to a rock concert somewhere in your life, most of you. Did you ever notice the way those guys are worshiped? They lift their hands to them. They exalt them. They promote them. They glorify them. They give themselves to them. That's worship. It satisfies their craving to have a visible, tangible God because they are separated from the real God. When a person or a people separate from the real God, they will find something somewhere, somehow to worship. And they always choose something that is not worship worthy. Behind all idolatry, did you know this, are demons. Invisible evil spirits give power to idolatry. This is how dumb idols of wood, stone, or charismatic personalities in our day have the ability to hold countless millions of people in their thrall. How do they do it? Demons are involved. I'm convinced. Those who worship idols worship demons. You say, Pastor Jeff, where'd you get that? I'm gonna show you right here. In talking to the Corinthians about idolatry, Paul writes, quote, what am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what is offered to idols is anything? 
Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice to idols, they sacrifice really to demons and not to God. And then Paul says, I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. Woo. Now, who is he talking to? Save people. I don't want you save folks having fellowship with the devil. Because behind idols, there's demons. And then there is witchcraft. This word is from the Greek word pharmakia, literally sorcery. What word do we get out of pharmakia? Pharmacy. What is it telling us? That sorcery or witchcraft and drugs work together. There is a satanic presence behind drugs. Matter of fact, if you, want to, if you want to meet the devil, get involved in drugs. If you want the door swung wide open to the dark world of Satan, get involved in drugs. Because pharmakia means sorcery. Drugs, sorcery, connected. This may help explain the profound addiction experienced by drug abusers. They're under the power of demons. They don't realize it. They're under the power of demons. And the only way to get set free, really free, is by Christ, who's stronger than the demons. The empty soul of man, estranged from God, craves contact with the supernatural. And evil spirits are all too willing to comply. Hence, from time immemorial, witches, mediums, psychics of all sorts, astrologers, necromancers, which means communicators with the dead, and soothsayers have offered people contact with the unseen world. These practices are exceedingly dangerous. They open the door to demon possession, depression, suicidal thoughts, and even insanity. If you've got a Ouija board in your house and you've been wondering why you feel heavy, go get it tonight and burn that baby. Stand back, it's gonna hiss. I'm amazed at how some believers have occult stuff in their home and don't know it. As, uh, horoscopes, I hope you don't read the daily horoscopes. That's a cult. We need wisdom, don't we? <clears throat> now, the final category, and we're going to go through these very quickly, is in Paul's list is social sins. Read them with me, would you? They are hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Quickly, hatred, the opposite of love. It describes the person who entertains and nurtures hostility towards others. They nurture it. Contentions. This means strife or quarrelsomeness. We've heard of a contentious home or a contentious church or a contentious marriage. Jealousies. Do you know the Greek word for jealousy comes from zealos, which we get zeal from? So it means intense emotion. Jealousy describes bitter animosity and resentment over the blessings of someone else. And I mean, jealousy is a burning sensation. I think jealousy is the most tormenting emotion of all. It's terrible. Boy, it'll just, it'll just put the hurt on you. Now, outbursts. This describes hot anger and passion. It comes from the Greek word thumos, which means a sudden explosion of anger. 
it follows hard on the heels of jealousy. What are you doing with that? I should have that. How'd you get that promotion? I'm the anointed and the appointed. I deserve that more than you. You get jealous and then boy, it doesn't take much to pull that trigger. Figuratively speaking, we know it is a bad temper. And if you've got a bad temper, it's like anything. When you get tempted to go that way in the flesh, say, Holy Spirit, I yield to you. I feel like blowing, but I yield to you. And you will find, whoosh, peace comes. You learn how to be mad according to the Proverbs. You learn how to respond to stress with anger. You unlearn it. Same way. Selfish ambition. This points to ambition or rivalry, and it's one of the fruits of jealousy. How did they get that car? How did they get that house? Bless God, I'm going to make as much money as they made, and I'm going to have what they have. And we become selfishly ambitious to keep up with the Joneses. You ought to live with the Joneses for a weekend. You wouldn't want to be like them anymore. (laughs) Dissensions. This is that spirit that involves itself in church splits. Factions. It is divisive. And then there's heresies. We know what that is. False teaching, contrary to sound doctrine. Then there's envy. Now, what is the difference between envy and jealousy? Jealousy desires what somebody else has. Envy simply wishes they would lose it. That's the difference. That is the difference. You know, those folks who say, Lord, if you just released fire from heaven and vaporized them, I would not mind. You got your ears wide open to hear any news that they lost it. Jealousy. I want what you've got. I want your wife. I want your husband. I want your car. I want your house. Envy says, I just hope it all blows up. That's where murder comes from. You know, it it says in the Bible, it was from envy they delivered Jesus over. Murder, we know that one, the first sin after the fall. Drunkenness. Sipping saints. (laughs) I'm just trying to have a little bit of levity here tonight. Don't take me so seriously. Sipping saints. Oh, Lord, bless this funny drink I paid $20 for. (laughs) Bless it. Overindulgence in alcoholic drink. You know what I feel about it. And you can take it or leave it, chew the meat, spit out the bones. But I think every sip, you increase your chances of a bad decision. Revelries. Revelries. Always in close company with drunkenness. It means orgies or carousing. Party and hearty. Get drunk. You do things, say things, go places you would never do. Ever straight. What a list. What a portrait the Holy Spirit has drawn of man in sin. Put all together, here we go. What a fine fellow this is. We see a person that is adulterous, foul, given over to idolatry and witchcraft, a hateful, quarrelsome, jealous, and bad-tempered person who causes dissensions, is murderous, habitually drunk, and depraved. Somebody just said, that sounds like my spouse. No, I'm just, don't say that. Don't say that. Oh, that sounds like my ex, whatever. 
Such is the flash, folks. Is it any wonder we must be born again? In our current culture, everyone is always getting excited about things related to prophecies, as opposed to what is rooted in the truth. Today, Pastor Jeff taught that you need to worry about the now instead of what's going to happen in the future. No one will ever be able to know what the future holds, and listening to the world's wisdom will only result in failure and disappointment. Leave your worries and anxieties behind through God's grace. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard today, we'd like to know. You can call or text us at the following number and share your thoughts. That number to text is 817-484-4767. Once again, that's 817-484-4767. Thanks for being a part of this ministry and helping it continue to be an encouraging and uplifting resource for you and others. Now I'll hand it back to Daniel as he gives a preview of what's next. As Christians, it's easy to feel discouraged when we don't feel validated for the work that we're doing for God's kingdom. Whether someone looks down on our contributions or doesn't recognize the magnitude of what we're doing, it's easy to feel frustrated in doing God's work. Next time, Pastor Jeff wants you to know the importance of encouraging other brothers and sisters in Christ. It will spur them on to keep doing their work for the kingdom. There's more Pastor Jeff has to share from the book of Galatians, so be sure to join us again. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can find it online at hardwired.org. We're so glad we could be part of your day today, and we pray you've been blessed by today's edition of Hardwired.